Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. relaxing and at home or something. But we are not at home. We're here at work. America's Heroes Group Roundtable Mental Health Matters with partner Nami Contra Casa. And today is Saturday, April 2nd, 2022, April Sexual Assault and Autism Awareness Month. Our host is the Honorable Cliff Kelly. I am his co-host, Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold. And we have our executive producer, Glenda Smith, and the fantastic digital media producer by the name of Ivan Ortega of the fantastic company called Scouts Honor Productions. So today we are actually um, have a partner that we're going to talk to, and this is Gigi Crowder. She's the executive director of NAMI Contra Costa in California. NAMI is the National Alliance of on Mental Illness an advocacy group founded by family members of people with mental illness. So it's a very, very special uh, group that is focused on the actual issues that are surrounding uh, people who are suffering from mental illness. And today we're going to be do- uh, talking about a particular subgroup of that, and this is addressing unsheltered veterans living with mental illness. Welcome, welcome, Gigi. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for having me. Okay. Why don't you take it away and tell us what, what, is, what are some of the special things that are happening with our unsheltered veterans when it comes to mental illness? We know, you know, the things like t- uh, traumatic brain injury and uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and depression and, with, you know, even the, the regular things that we see are things like Alzheimer's disease and dementia. So they are certainly not immune from those things. And so what, what is it that they're facing in special that's special to their particular situation. Okay, so veterans account for about 11% of the unsheltered adults in the United States. Mm -hmm. And uh, sadly, that means that they're the largest number of individuals who are living with mental health unaddressed mental health challenges on the streets. That's really important. I want to stop you for one quick mm -hmm. second. But that 11%, now you have to remember that less than 1% of the country actually serves. So right. that's 11% coming out of 1% of people in the country who serve. So go ahead. I'm <laughs> sorry. 
Right. So, and, and of course, there's a lot of social stigma surrounding this particular social group, uh, depending on what um, era they may have served in the military and how people feel about their service there. So we really do a lot of work and we're I'm really appreciative of the uh, new measures coming from our president to better address the needs of veterans who have uh, served this country, came home, needed some support around um, whether it be education or mental health support, and did not always find it so readily available. So NAMI has a special program called Homefront, where we work with individuals and try and connect them to the services. I think in the last four or five years, there has been um, some some major, more positive change, mm-hmm. but we're we're not nearly where we need to be in terms of um, addressing the needs. So we know the leading cause is unaddressed mental illness, PTSD, social isolation, unemployment. And I always share with individuals when a person is having a difficult time with uh, being feeling mentally well, they often will, and I call it self-medicate with substance abuse. So we are having a debate, a conversation about which comes first, the mental illness or the substance abuse. And I will always say the mental health, the unaddressed Mm -hmm. trauma Mm -hmm. comes before the substance abuse. That makes total sense to me (laughs) because why would you have substance abuse if you don't have anything that you're trying to take care of? you're, You're trying to you know, soothe and, uh, you know, depression or you're trying to overcome a TBI or PTSD. So very well mm-hmm. said. Yeah. So so who, who's, who's um, you know, eligible for the uh, home front program and how, how does that work? Well, the, the home front program allows for individuals getting um, who have and can share their veteran status, having an opportunity to go to the front of the line with housing programs that's offered mm-hmm. by HUD. Mm-hmm. So uh, I myself personally, I have um, several rental properties and I prioritize working with the VASHA program, which is like Section 8, but only for veterans, which allows for them using only a third of their income to pay rent. So we have to have more. Mm-hmm. California's done a great job with that. Not all states have done such a great job, but it did result in a 2% decline in California, even though California also has the distinction of having, having the largest number of unsheltered vets. They also mm-hmm. have more programs in place. Oh, fantastic. You know, so so um, with this, I'm, I'm wondering, um, so you were saying that they are, you know, uh, moving towards the front of the line, so it's for HUD, you know, for the housing. What, what other programs are they you know, sort of you know, put, you know, on sort of an accelerated course uh, to take care of, uh, because I'm wondering about the mental health providers. We, we, you know, at least in Illinois, there's a shortage of mental health providers, uh, and I, I think it's a national problem. Uh, you know, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, people who normally um, help people. Um, so, so how, you know, you know, what are the the the, uh, the inroads to getting the proper mental health care? Is it is it uh, something that's really a main focus? Well, I, I know a lot of states now have recognized that there's a shortage 
Mm-hmm. But I also know a lot of vets only want to receive services from individuals who have a similar background. So mm-hmm. uh, what we've tried to do in California is have a loan forgiveness program to support individuals to go into the mental health field. Yeah. But what we probably need to do is prioritize that program for vets who want to go back to school and go in and work in mental health. So we we know there's a shortage Mm -hmm. of psychiatrists, psychologists, licensed clinical social workers. So there's also a movement for us to hire people with lived experience. So they don't necessarily have to have the credentialing, Mm -hmm. but they have to have the skill set needed to work with individuals as a peer are to work with the families of a vet as a family member. And so that's kind of taken some some steam, took on some steam here in California. Um, there was an opportunity because our governor has signed the bill that allows for us to bill, bill Medi-Cal for um, oh. individuals using their lived experience over the clinician, clinical uh, skill set. Well, it sounds like you have a good that. governor. <laughs> Well, so we have a progressive governor who uh, often will share the fact that, you know, um, you know, he's working hard to try and address the um, unsheltered homelessness issues in California. He's actually also introduced the bill and specifically named veterans as some he thought would benefit from the called care court. Now, it's not popular with the more peer groups because it would allow um, family members, police officers, social workers to have the individuals who are unsheltered kind of give up their rights to get the treatment. But if individuals truly understand mental health, they have to understand that sometimes when a person is living with a mental health challenge, they're not really aware of it, but they continue to put themselves at harm. So having a third party temporarily make decisions for them would greatly benefit individuals when they're in the deepest, darkest parts of a severe mental illness. And we see that a lot with our veterans. You know, it's really interesting because I, you know, I'm currently getting a a graduate degree from the University of Chicago, but it's in, uh, it's a master's of science in threat response management. And uh, mm-hmm. one of my professors, incredible, uh, Bill Avenina, but he had introduced us to this, these different uh, videos and things about, uh, you know, uh, emergency situations. And one of the things that they mentioned was, you know, uh, any disaster, we have to um, we have to start, look at ourselves not as victims but as survivors, right? So the people mm-hmm. come forward. So I'm, I'm just using that as a groundwork, a preface for you to talk about how, how did this organization come about, NAMI? I think this is fantastic because it sounds like it's the family members of people with mental illness. So this is coming from a really strong grassroots community base, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, NAMI is the oldest uh, in this nation grassroots organization that can be identified. So there's so 600 affiliates across the nation each have their own 501c3, that means the nonprofit status. And if you interviewed the 600, I would say maybe 89% of them started over a kitchen table with mothers who were not pleased with the services that their loved ones were getting from the governmental agencies in their regions responsible for it. Wow. So 
somewhere in the early um, 70s, the individual started, you know, meeting and talking about it. Then they discovered that there was a national alliance, as we did in Contra Costa County, that they could join forces with. So we know that there's strength in numbers. And now NAMI National, which is based in the east out of Virginia, is really strong and leading a lot of the efforts around um, 988, which is the non-police response to mental health and suicide um, prevention. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's leading the efforts around help, not harm, for those living with mental illness around um, how police respond. And it's taking a big leap forward around the home front and all the programs that they have put in place to address the needs of veterans, recognizing that Veterans have uh, identified as the leading cause for their challenges being after substance abuse uh, related issues, mental health. So it makes sense that NAMI would take this on. Wow. So that that 988 is like sort of like our 911 number that you would call uh, for an emergency. Right. And um, mm-hmm. July 1st, it's every region um, is mandated that they have a plan in place. And there's some legislation around how it should be funded, but likely we'll see an increase in our cell phone bills <laughs> to ensure that individuals can see nine can dial nine eight eight. Now, the suicide prevention part is already taken care of. Mm-hmm. Uh, some states have included the mental health non police response, but um, some have not yet um, have not identified it. Some don't have a mobile crisis response team, so. All they sent out is law enforcement for a what we call 5150 when a person is deemed to be a danger to themselves. Others are gravely dis- dis- are gravely ill. So we're really working hard in this country now to move away from police, right, because they respond quickly and see mental health and when a person is having a crisis as a ment- as a medical emergency versus a criminal um yeah. Criminally based. Yeah, we've been seeing some of that even in Chicago, where there's a you know sentiment growing around you know policing mm-hmm. activities and and making sure that officers are properly trained and you have mental health professionals in alignment with them. You know when you're responding to things like this, uh, because a lot of tragedies happen because uh, people don't understand what's going on. Um, and as you said, if you're looking at it as a criminal action, uh, you know purely, then your response can be very very different from what it should be. It should be more appropriately a mental health response. Right. So, so, you know, you know, and this is really, this would be on national television. I mean, (laughs) this 988 number and people should become more aware that this is, um, you know, available and it's coming down the road. Um, You know, what, what do you think that communities should be doing? How can communities get more involved? Because we have, uh, you know, family members here in, uh, you know, in uh, places like Chicago, uh, you know, and this is true throughout the country. So what would be your advice to people as far as uh, joining a NAMI group or, you know, uh, you know, getting involved in, you know, setting up a 501c3 or, you know, m- you know, joining a bandwagon uh, to make sure that we're addressing these mental health issues? Because I think it's really going to take that grassroots uh, approach in order to really make a big difference. Yeah, I mean, um, we are recognizing that a lot of the elected officials and people running for office are uplifting mental health, especially as we started start 
looking at COVID and the impact it had on people's sense of wellness or mental wellness. So mm-hmm. I, I, I know that NAMI is often the go-to place before individuals recognize that there's a state or a city entity that's responsible for meeting the needs of their loved ones, that they pay taxes to have those um, governmental departments operate from. NAMI is a non-clinical support, but we heal through um, supporting others. Like when we, when you know that there's a, a route that someone else has taken and there's strength in numbers and our motto is you are not alone. So lots of times NAMI are able to press the decision makers about how they should better serve those who live with mental illness. And the NAMI um, national website is just simply NAMI.org. And then you can go there and you can find a local affiliate. Mm -hmm. And with there being 600, it's kind of hard to go more than, you know, two or 300 miles without running into an affiliate. Some are larger than others. We've been, placed in a pretty good position in Contra Costa County because we have county funding. So we have governmental funding. So we are able to be fully present um, through normal business hours and on Saturdays. Some are still at that kitchen table with no office, but they're still doing some great work because it's family members who often can be identified as the case managers for their loved one when they're having a difficult time because most regions don't have the staffing pattern that would support everyone who lives with a mental health challenge having a, a, a case manager. And, you know, depending on the insurance people have, it's going to dictate the quality of services that they receive around their mental health challenge and getting support for it. Yes, yeah. And, you know, and one, one of the things that you mentioned is NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org, uh, O-R-G, you know, so people who are mm-hmm. interested in uh, looking at that. But also, you know, um, you, you were mentioning before, you know, increasing the cost of my phone bill. I, that's one thing I would pay for, you know, to make sure that right. people in this country have adequate mental health. Uh, I, I would pay before that before I pay for, you know, an extra um, tulip in the park, <laughs> you know, <laughs> although I love exactly. the flowers and all that. I'm not putting it down, but, you know, there's some things that are more important, like uh, human concerns uh, in these situations. Uh, but, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Um, and I, I brought this up in an earlier conversation. And right now, COVID-19 is proving to affect the central nervous system, the brain. It's affecting the heart. It's affecting the kidneys, uh, the liver. And uh, we don't know what, what the kind of uh, interaction this is going to have with underlying other mental health conditions. So, uh, you know, the traumatic brain injury, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and depression and uh, dementia and Alzheimer's disease, all those other mental health issues, uh, bipolar disorder. We don't know how this is going to affect uh, the mental health status of uh, people. So do you think that is something that we need to keep an eye on? Um, you know, and it's not it's, it's not from the clinical side, uh, you know, necessarily about what we're doing, but making sure that people are aware that this is uh, something that's out there that may be occurring that we have to be aware of. Well, there's been sadly some recent studies that have um, shown that individuals who live with schizophrenia, which is one of the most common. Mm-hmm causes of uh, mental illness and probably one of the illnesses that's the most debilitating for individuals who live with it, mm-hmm. that they they ran a very high risk of COVID because 
sadly, mm. um, it's not widely understood, but individuals who live with the more severe mental illness already die anywhere from 20 to 25 years earlier than the, gen- the general population. Yes. So living with uh, mental illness already puts you in a pretty, you know, precari- precarious situation about your um, ability to live a long, full life. So when you com- put COVID and schizophrenia together, it's really a deadly mix. Yes, yeah. You know, for the last couple of years, I've been warning about this uh, in the background because we had a, such a great focus on just hospitalizations and deaths, you know. Uh, and that's the statistic everyone was following. But what is the actual physical impact and the mental health impact of, uh, you know, COVID-19? Uh, we know that, you know, children also, you know, haven't been going to school, and that has an impact on them as well. Uh, and then we have pa- parents who um, do have mental health uh, conditions as well, and they're trying the mm-hmm. best they can to raise these kids, and that was impacting them directly too. So, you know, we really need to be paying attention to this, uh, that, you know, the issue as a family unit, and, and especially for those people who have no one to turn to, have no family members, mm-hmm. like our unsheltered, you know, veterans uh, living with yeah. mental illness. Yeah, I mean, the, I guess the recent study, studies from uh, JMA said that individuals who live with schizophrenia are three times more likely to die from COVID-19 than the general population. Three times more. And so, yeah. So when we start thinking about a person who lives with a diagnosis that comes with symptoms like paranoia, who hears Mm -hmm. voices, Mm -hmm. those voices are going to be even more difficult to manage, even though some people have the skill set to try and learn how to manage the voices when you have this debilitating illness. And then on top of it, you're being bombarded with the news about COVID. So mm, yes. uh, the risk of death is greater. And mm-hmm. the, uh, individuals who live with uh, diagnosis such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, schizoaffective disorder, often, sadly, also live with diabetes, heart disease, and other conditions mm-hmm. uh, much younger than the general population because some of the medications cause horrific side effects. Yeah, because one of the things, one of the terms I used to I hate really it's uh, that we always say social distancing, and I, I always had to remind people it's physical distancing, you know, six to eight oh. feet. It's not social distancing. <laughs> you know, you still can, con- con- you know, contact people by phone, by email, by Zoom, or whatever you're doing. And uh, that uh, that kind of uh, thinking, uh, you know, had people in isolation, and you know, I have to mm-hmm. stay away from everyone else, and. You know, um, you know, the, the precautions you take, of course, you know, you make sure you get fully vaccinated. That's the first thing you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, you know, I just got my second booster dose two days ago. Uh, so I'm, I'm feeling much more comfortable. I, my niece, uh, Leah Bowers, and um, uh, Opraku now, her last name, uh, is having, uh, uh, you know, a child. And I want to go to D.C., you know, to be present for that next mm-hmm. week. But I had to protect myself. So for people who, um, you know, who are out there who have mental health issues, uh, the cutoff from uh, caregivers, uh, the cutoff from making sure they get their medications, not just for their uh, mental health, but as you're indicating, for their physical health was important. And uh, we we really have to get back on track very quickly. 
and make sure that we have uh, the adequate resources going to, to support that. Yes, and I really appreciate what you said earlier because I was promoting social contact safely because the mm-hmm. isolation was, was really difficult for people who already mm-hmm. uh, tend to decompensate when they can't have the physical presence of others. So your terminology, I wish I'd have heard it earlier as I was trying to express <laughs> <laughs> that you need to remain as social as possible <laughs> yeah, we by see. using virtual tools and FaceTime and, you know, going into spaces where you can, you know, appropriately be distanced, but don't give up trying to make social contact with individuals because uh, that did lead to a lot of depression, yes. a lot of anxiety. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we're getting close close on time. Uh, we have about a minute to go. But I am uh, really, uh, it is such an honor talking to you because it sounds like you've been doing so much work uh, to, to help people who are in this situation through NAMI and uh, your efforts, uh, both in, you know, uh, pushing for uh, the legislation side of it and, you know, being an advocate for people who can't defend themselves uh, that need help, um, you know, in the mental health arena. Uh, I just have to say applaud you for that and thank you for <laughs> what you do. Thank you for giving me a platform to talk about it. I appreciate it. Yeah. And so Gigi Crowder is an executive director of NAMI Contra Costa in California. And NAMI is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, an advocacy group founded by family members of people with mental illness. Make sure you go to the NAMI.org, NAMI.org, to find out more information. And we have these iconic people like uh, Gigi Crowder in our life and people like uh, Glenda uh, Smith, who is going to be talking to us very shortly, (laughs) our executive producer. The one and only Dr. Colonel, Dr. Damon Arnold, the co-host with the mostest. (laughs) Oh, gosh. What a great show today. Thank you, partners and guests, for the resources and information that makes America Heroes Group who we are. We connect the disconnected intentionally. So once again, thank you, our global listening audience, for watching, live stream, and listening to America's Heroes Group. Please... um, like and share so others can be connected to information and resources that they need as well. As always, we're so grateful to our partner, Mrs. Dorothy Lavelle and the Chicago Crusaders on that wonderful article that she prints every week, Voices, in regards to Cliff Kelly, Dr. Damon, Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, Sean Claiborne, America's Heroes Group. It can be read if you call and get a uh, subscription at 773 773- Five seven five two twenty five hundred and request a subscription. Once again, please call the Chicago Crusaders seven seven three seven five two twenty five hundred and ask for a subscription. We can be reached twenty four seven in regards to um, issues and concerns regarding affordable housing, social services, wellness care at three one two eight zero three two six one eight. We're located at one five five. North Wacker Drive, Suite 4250, Chicago, Illinois, 60606. Last week, we dedicated, um, Dr. Arnold, this show to U.S. Army veteran, excuse me, U.S. Army veteran, um, 
I'm having a senior moment. I'm having a hard what? time. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> She's too young. Per, I know. Young. <laughs> per, it's been a difficult day for me, guys. I apologize. But we dedicated this show last week to U.S. Uh, Army veteran, Mr. Purvis Spann, who oh, yes. passed away, founder, co-founder yes. of WVON. Yeah. And Great time, man. Like yes, him. he was. And he was such a visionary in terms of business, in terms of growth. And how he brought other people over and became that bridge. But time ran out and I forgot to let everyone know who did not know. Mm. One of his greatest accomplishments, I think, mm. of all that he did for everybody was to hire Mr. Cliff Kelly. He mm-hmm. and Wesley South brought yeah. Cliff Kelly on board. Yeah. Who now became, as we all lovely know, the governor, governor of Talk, Talk Radio. Radio. There you go. <laughs> the, the man, the icon, legend, the voice himself. So, yes. So, yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. Once again, kudos to him for being a fabulous visionary. (laughs) Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.